Welcome to Meet the Athlete at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. Please welcome our guest moderator for this afternoon's event, Rob Walker. Well, good evening, everybody. Thanks for your patience and thanks for coming. Only six days to go until the world's focus turns its attention to one of the biggest annual sporting events on the planet. Wimbledon is almost upon us, ladies and gentlemen, bringing with it all its tradition, its history, its drama, and above all, its desire. Of course, much excitement in Great Britain because uh, Andy Murray arrives back as the defending champion. That was a great final, but who also could forget and what a magnificent moment it was in the semi-final between Djokovic and Del Potro. Del Potro had hyperextended his knee. People were expecting him to last no longer than an hour and a half. He took the fourth on a tiebreaker. Djokovic won the match, but it was four and a three-quarter hours of the best sporting drama. Yes, it was tennis, but it absolutely encapsulated, I think, just why the championship is so magical and so fantastic, not only to watch, but to work on for those of us who are fortunate enough to, uh, to spend every fortnight, every summer uh, in, uh, in Wimbledon. But also, it must be magnificent to coach at Wimbledon. And we'll hear a little bit more in a moment uh, from Tim about what it must be like to play there. Us mere mortals can only begin to imagine. So we're here to talk about the launch of a brand new app. And I think one of the impressive things about Wimbledon it's a championship steeped in history. Its job is to preserve tradition, but at the same time, it has to embrace technology and embrace the future. And in that regard, Wimbledon achieves all of those things. It's, it's not a championship that rests on its laurels. It could do. It could probably get away with no advertising at all in the lead up to the championship, and every seat would still be taken. Every square inch of grass on Henman Hill would still be covered. But the championship is always seeking to improve and technology is at the heart of the next generation of Wimbledon supporters and spectators. So we will be talking about the app. So please join me in welcoming our three guests up onto the stage. We have Mick Desmond, the commercial director of the All England Lawn Tennis Club. We have Alex Willis, the content manager. And we have Mr. Tim Henman, former world number four and so many brilliant semi-finals at Wimbledon. Well, Mick, first of all, if we could start with you, uh, why is Wimbledon so special to you? I mean, obviously, it's, uh, it's a fortnight of hard work, but uh, it can't fail to excite, even, uh, you know, even though you, you, you've, you've overseen it to, on so many occasions with so much drama. Well, I think it's just a, such a special place because it's, a, it's an event that transcends sport. Um, I think everybody, every year, everybody looks forward to coming to it. It's the attention to detail. I think it is the tradition and the heritage that we have, but also every year we try and surprise. So there's, a, there's always innovation uh, that we try and bring to the championship. Um, but I think it's the attention to detail that goes into the preparation. And, and my favorite moment is about 7.30 on the Monday morning before play starts, going in. It's like going to a dinner party where the table's set, everything's in its place, and it just looks like perfection. When you are dealing with a championship that, that is so steeped in history and you've only got to walk in to SW19 to, to, to kind of feel that atmosphere and the names and the prestige, how do you balance moving forward but preserving those great traditions and that great sense of history at the same time? 
Well, I think it's like two sides of a coin. I mean, I think you're right. We, we, we obviously cherish our brand, and it's about the heritage, the tradition, the attention to detail, the players playing in white, playing on grass. But at the same time, you know, we need to move forward. And, and I think, you know, certainly we'll talk about today, our, our digital assets, the same attention to detail that we put into preparing the grounds, we try and do with all our digital platforms so that if you can't be at Wimbledon and only about a half a million people physically come through the doors during the championships, for all those people around the world, you know, we want them to share the experience. So we try and make it as immersive as we can, um, you know, have as much imagery as we can, and, and you know, we need to keep innovating, but at the same time, cherish our brand. Have you been surprised at the speed with which the technological side of what you offer and what's embedded within the website has, has taken off? Yeah, I am. I, 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 think, I think it's fair to say that probably sort of four or five years ago, we may well have been following um, other sports rights holders in, in, in terms of what we're doing with our digital strategy. And, and I think we're now in a very strong position where I think we're now taking a very clear lead. And um, it was great a couple of weeks ago that, that we actually had the recognition from our peers where we won the BT Sports Brand of the Year. And, and a lot of that was because of our digital assets where we're reaching a, a much younger audience, but at the same time geographically engaging with just more and more people. I guess this is a, a hard question to answer because technology does move so quickly. Uh, you've already done so much in the last few years. What's, what's next? Because you know, Wimbledon is always trying to evolve and, and think one step ahead, which you guys are doing brilliantly at the moment. So what's in the back of your mind or, or what's on the blueprint for, for the future, for, for next year and, and, the, and the years that follow in terms of your digital strategy? Well, I think it's building on what we've got. I mean, I think we're now sort of across all platforms. Uh, I know Alex will talk in more detail about sort of, you know, the social engagement, which is probably the bigger emphasis um, for this year. Um, I think probably going forward to try and engage more geographically with people. Um, you know, we, we've, we've already got uh, tweeting into China, into Japan uh, in language. Uh, I think we could extend that more. I think it's a learning curve as well. The great thing about having IBM as a partner is that we, we get all the information back so we can have a clear sense of what people want. You know, how are they engaging with us? Um, how do they want us to go forward? So uh, I think we're on a journey. It's a long journey. Well, Alex, that would seem an appropriate point at which uh, to bring you in. Uh, just first of all, b b before we... Uh talk to you about the strategy. Let's, let's have a look at the app as people have uh, hopefully just downloaded it in the last uh, couple of minutes. Uh, guys, if you, can, uh, if you can prepare it on the, on the big screen, that would be great. It's um, really simple to use. There's some fantastic features on there. If you're a stato, you can find what you want. If you're only looking for a, a quick score update, you can absolutely find what you want. It's, um, it's, a, it's a great great piece of technology to help you appreciate and absorb the championship even if as Mick said you can't actually be there yourself. Well thank you very much Rob and thank you everyone for coming. Um, I think uh, what we're most proud of with this app which hopefully you'll get a sense of I'll, I'll show you a few visuals from it this is very Blue Peter style coincidence but it is exactly here um, is Wimbledon is a beautiful place and we wanted everyone who comes to whether it's our website, whether it's to our iPad app, whether it's our mobile apps, to feel like they were experiencing what Wimbledon looks like. So this is an app that's very image-based. Uh, it allows you to see different views of the grounds throughout the day. You can see what the courts look like. And I'm trying to give you everyone a sense of exactly how beautiful it is, but also give it a view that you don't necessarily get from television. It's a bigger place than you might realize. And also the, the breadth of content that we have that's available. So what we're trying to give users the 
option to do is streamline the app according to what they're most interested in. So if you were to go into your live scores section, for example, which there's live scores from qualifying going on at the moment, and if you were to hit the favorites only button, although I don't actually have any favorites, so uh, it yet. won't work. <laughs> but if I did have favorites, it would streamline it so I could just see the players or countries or events that I was most interested in. We've also got uh, results and an array of other content, including live at Wimbledon, which Rob here works with us on, but also some videos. Um, I'll show you a quick little uh, video clip um, as I get to it, which is, this is the kind of content we created last year that we're quite proud of, just to show a completely different side to Wimbledon that people might not have seen before. So this is the hill in 24 hours. You'll see the number of people that come and go. It was quite fun. I think it's one thing that you don't necessarily appreciate until you work on the championship is just the tremendous amount of effort that goes in to actually making it look all so effortless. Absolutely. I mean, you'll see at the end of this video, it's quite fun. All the people here enjoying their day at Wimbledon and then everyone comes along to clean up all the rubbish afterwards. And lo and behold, you're back to it being perfect again. So we're really excited about this year and hopefully giving people a sense of what it's like to be at Wimbledon, even though they can't go. Looking back to, to, the, to the beginning of, of, you know, of when apps came into being and, and the beginning of your, your digital platform and your strategy, what was your outlook? You know, what, what were you expecting to do a few years ago? Because you know, judging on the evidence of what we've seen here today, not only have you achieved those uh, goals, you've surpassed them in some style. I think the first step was, was as Mick said, with our website. Um, even though we're seeing more and more people using mobiles, in fact, last year, over 53% of our traffic on all our digital came from mobiles. The website still remains the hero, as it were. And for most people, when they're at work all day and they're wanting to follow Wimbledon and keep track of Wimbledon, that is our first point of call. And we wanted people to hit the homepage and feel absolutely like it was Wimbledon. There was no confusion. There was not 55,000 messages on it. They didn't know where to look. So that was the start, and I think we were so delighted with the reaction we got from that that we've just tried to take that forward. Let's touch on social media. We're going to be talking to Tim about that in just a, a few moments' time. But what, uh, what have we got on there by way of social media for this year's championship? So there's a new uh, section, which I can't actually show you because it won't be live until Monday, um, but it's called the Social Hill. Come back on the 23rd of June. And the idea is to engage the crowd at Wimbledon on Henman Hill and invite them to let us know how they think the match that is being shown on the hill is going at any time, but then also compare what they think with what the rest of the world thinks. So it's basically encouraging real-time engagement from the virtual to the physical. And I think that's where social media is so interesting is that you are getting people offering their opinion, but it's using that and getting real insight from that in a, in a useful way. Great stuff. Well, thanks very much, Alex. Tim, we've been looking forward to uh, hearing your thoughts. Uh, before we get into anything in, in any great detail, can you still clearly remember your first uh, visit to Wimbledon? Can, is, does it Abs sit high in the memory? Absolutely. Um, I think it was a, a sort of defining moment in my life. I, uh, I first went to the championships in, uh, on the Monday in 1981, and uh, I was six, and I, I went with my mum, and we were lucky enough to have two tickets on centre court, and and uh, being the first day the defending champion Bjorn Borg was was defending his title for the for the fifth time and going for a sixth title and and I got into centre court and I remember exactly where I was sitting and and uh, it was a little bit different then there was standing room in the in the stadium but uh, as I was there with my mum 
I saw saw centre court and I saw the immaculate grass and the umpires and the ball kids out on the court and be on board coming out of the um, coming out of the door and walking onto court and and that was where I really made my one and only career decision. I said that you know that's that's what I want to do when I grow up and and um, you know I've loved the place ever since. You've obviously competed at a very high level at all the slams, but did you find it a little bit easier to to get up for Wimbledon because it had had such a such a key place in in your mind for, from well, when you was, were six? It was definitely um, my favourite favourite tournament for for obvious reasons. But um, I, I think when you um, when I was able to step back from that and and to appreciate the biggest and best tournament in the world was my home tournament and to have the opportunity of playing so many of my matches on centre court with the most incredible support, um, it, it was you know it was a real privilege and and um, you know now that uh, I don't play anymore but I'm I'm on the tournament board and it, it's been fantastic to see things from the the other side of the fence and and really appreciate how the club and the tournament has evolved over time because I think you you touched on it earlier there there is there's been um, massive change. There's been incredible investment in the infrastructure, in um, the courts, the facilities for the players, uh, um, in every area. But the most important aspect, the, the tradition, um, which is the ethos of the event, remains the same. And that, that, is, that is so important. I think that, for me, is what's impressed me most being involved in the tournament. Because the investment has to continue, doesn't it? There's absolute, there isn't any complacency and there isn't room for that because Wimbledon wants to maintain its place. I mean, we can be a little bit biased here because we're British at the very top of all the Grand well, Slams. It, and, and we are probably a bit biased sitting here, but uh, the players are our greatest spokespeople. And if you were to go into the locker room and ask the, the top 100 male players and the top 100 female players, I, I guarantee you, you know, 90% of them would say if they could win one tournament, they'd like it to be Wimbledon and, and uh, that is a fantastic position to be in but as you quite rightly say we can't rest on our laurels and, and our competitors are the other Grand Slams they are the, the cornerstone of our game and they are fantastic events and, and you know Wimbledon is always looking over its shoulder to see what's happening in New York to see what's happening in Paris or, or in Melbourne the investment um, to their infrastructure to make sure that we can understand what they're doing and, and perhaps learn from different areas to see different sporting events the, um, the Masters at Augusta and see how they work with um, their facilities to, to keep improving and, and it's the same as a tennis player if, if you don't keep improving you, you'll get left behind and I think that's the same for Wimbledon as a, as a club and as a tournament and that's what they do fantastically well. Uh, as a former player, you, you'll be well aware of how big a role statistics play, certainly for journalists and for fans and for players to some extent. There are loads of stats you can access on the app. Do you think uh, in, your, in your playing career, if there'd been an app, would it have been something that you would have looked at, the statistics? The, Massively. The I mean, we, we, um, we did get a lot of statistics, but not in a format like this. And we, we would get pages and pages of... Um, uh, of stats that you sort of had to sift through to, to look at, you know, first serve percentage or aces or um, first serve points won. And, and um, I, I think now, because players are, are so much more accustomed to, to this type of information, it, it absolutely will be used by, um, 
by um, all, all the players in, in the event. And I think it's very valuable. The, you're, always, you're always looking for those very small gains against the, the best players in the world because the difference between winning and losing can be you know, such small margins. And, and um, you know, I'm sure from the professional side, whether you're a player or whether you're working in the media, there, there is, um, there's a lot of great information that, that we can utilise. Well, you just touched on the media, and I'm, I'm guessing that quite a few of your co-commentators live on the BBC would be, would be able to use that app, and actually during, not just before, a broadcast. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, there are, you know, as a, you know, as a fan of the game and a student of the game, there are still times when, you know, a player may have come through for qualifying and, and you don't know a great deal about him and, or her, and, and uh, to be able to have access to information about them, their results and, and how they've been playing this year and, and who they've beaten, it's, it's absolutely invaluable because there's nothing, there's nothing worse than if you're um, sitting commentating on a match and, and you don't really feel like you've got the details of, of you know, a player in front of you. Um, it, it makes your life very hard because you're sort of learning as you go along, whereas you're meant to be educating the spectators, um, you know, who the, the fans who are watching on television. So uh, it, it's, uh, I can guarantee it's going to be used across the board. I'm really interested to get your thoughts on social media because we've heard from Alex about the, the fans on, on Henman Hill will be able to, to get involved. But from a, from a professional sportsman's perspective, if social media in the guys that we know it in today had been around when you were a player, would you have been getting involved in tweeting after matches? I mean, a lot of players, it's second nature to them. They are a different generation, but, yeah. but for some, occasionally, it can prove a little bit distracting. Yeah, it, it can, and, and uh, again, this is all about managing your time and and, uh, uh, and and certainly it is a different era and, and things have changed so quickly and so dramatically, but, it is about in an individual sport those players are they are representing their brand and and it's been proven to be an extremely powerful tool and and you look at you know facebook followers or um, followers on twitter and it's it's enormous the numbers and and i i think knowing tennis players there will be a competitive element to that they will you know they have massive competition professional rivalries but there will be you know little sideline um action going on to to see who's who's got the most followers and and um it is it's the the numbers are increasing all the time before we open it to questions from the floor and if you are going to pose a question fantastic but if we could ask you to wait for a microphone to come to you that would be appreciated uh again let's just talk about this year of course you're going to be asked hundreds of questions uh, about Andy Murray and about the fact that he's, he's now got a, a, a new fledgling partnership going with Amelie Moresmo. What are your instinctive thoughts about that? A lot's been made of it in the media that, that, yep. you know, that, he's, that he likes <laughs> working with women, that his, his mum was coaching, big influence. What's your gut instinct? Um, I, I think, first and foremost, I was probably as surprised as anyone. Uh, I, didn't, um, I didn't really see um, the appointment coming, um, but... I, I really hope that it is a, a relationship that can flourish because I think that the continuity for Andy is important. I, I don't think he wants to be chopping and changing coaches and bringing in different people. Um, I was also surprised by the timing of it. I think it's, uh, you know, this is, this is Andy's um, most intense time of the year, obviously playing at home, um, coming into the grass court season as the defending champion at Queen's and the defending champion at Wimbledon. So there's always an, an enormous amount of scrutiny. So that will be, uh, that will be another challenge. But I think it's also um, 
it's also important to remember that you know he's a, he's a phenomenal tennis player and he knows what he's doing out on the court. He played very well in Roland Garros, so um, I, I, I'd like to you know see them given a little bit of time to 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 see how the the partnership flourishes and and um, um, you know there's going to be a lot of interested parties looking on. Uh, and just finally, what, one more question before we go to the floor: um, Who in the men's and women's draw do you? have a really good feeling about this year. I mean, it's often so difficult to predict. And if we could predict, it, would be, it wouldn't be the great <laughs> championship it is. But I, I try and when I'm asked that question, I do get asked it quite often. I try and give a different answer every time because then I'll always be able to go back to one interview and say, well, I, I told you. Um, on the men's side, I, I would be very surprised if the, um, if the winner came from outside the top four players. And I, and I put um, you know, Murray in that group. Um, Djokovic and Nadal, I think, are the favourites going in. Their form this year has been absolutely fantastic, and um, they've obviously played so well in the in the biggest tournaments. I uh, definitely would not write off Federer on a, on a grass court. I still think he um, can win Wimbledon this year because grass is the toughest surface for players to defend on, and Djokovic and Nadal and Murray rely on their defensive skills. Federer doesn't really defend because he's so attacking and he's so aggressive and, and grass is the surface that helps him the most. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him win. And given Andy's form in the last you know, couple of weeks with, with, with Roland Garros, um, I really believe that he can defend his title now. I think if you'd have asked me that question six weeks ago, um, I wasn't convinced that his back was you know, 100%. But the way that he played in Paris and, and getting that match play under his belt, getting the, the running in his legs, um, I, I think he's got a great chance. Great stuff. Thanks very much, Tim. OK, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, just put your hand up and we'll make sure we get a microphone to you as quickly as possible. Don't be shy. A great opportunity to pose a question to one of the game's greats. Lady at the back there, if we could pass in a microphone. Thanks very much. Hello, question for Tim. When you played a big Grand Slam match or, or any big Grand uh, match, how did you prepare emotionally in terms of relaxing? Did you listen to music? Did you watch films? That's a good question. Um, obviously, um, in tennis, unless you play the first match of the day, you don't know what time you're going to start. And so certainly, you know, following a, if you were following a men's match, is it going to be a three-set match, a four-set match, a five-set match? So I think um, the question you ask is a very good one because you have to be in control of your emotions. You've got to be, you know, perhaps ready to go on the court in 15 minutes or you've got to be able to relax and go on the court in two hours and 15 minutes. Um, for me, I, I, I was just happy to, you know, be in the locker room with my coach and my trainer and, and you know, maybe watch the match that was on before, um, you know, talk, maybe listen. I didn't listen to a great deal of music, sometimes play cards, sometimes play backgammon, um, you know, whatever, whatever passed the time. But you always had the understanding that you could be on court in, in 10 or 15 minutes. So you'd never totally switch off and, and, and totally relax, but you were able to. And, and obviously, because we, we compete so much, um, you know, in some sports, if you're you know, boxing or whatever it is, you, you don't compete a great deal, but we're probably playing 70 or 80 matches a year and, and over your career that can add up to thousands. So um, you, do, you do learn what works best for you and, and you become, you know, pretty comfortable with that whole process. Anything else? Chap in the 
Next row along. Um, what's your favourite Wimbledon moment, Tim? We talk a lot about moments and experience. We've heard a lot about it. What's your favourite Wimbledon moment of all your years there? Am I only allowed one? Yes. <laughs> um, we were, we, I was talking about this the other day in a, in a um, press interview, and, and it is very, very difficult to narrow it down to one, but um, in terms of one match, one moment that might, might surprise people, might not surprise people, was uh, in 1997. Um, we had some of the worst weather at Wimbledon that any of us had experienced. Um, we didn't have a roof on uh, on center court and um, that year was only the second time that we played on the middle Sunday and I was lucky enough to play um, I think it was my third round match it might have been my second round I can't quite remember but uh, I played Paul Harhus from the Netherlands and uh, it was people's Sunday so it was it was you know 14,000 people that had queued to get an opportunity on centre court. And I remember when we, we came through the doors and walked around the back of the canvas, when we came on the court, um, it was a Mexican wave, which I hadn't experienced as I walked onto court at Wimbledon. And, um, and then during the five-minute knock-up, every shot that I hit was cheered and every shot that Paul hit was booed. And, and the atmosphere was, I think, the best atmosphere I ever played in. And... Um, and I felt that they should be rewarded, so I ended up winning 14-12 in the fifth, just to keep it going. But uh, it was an amazing, an amazing day. It certainly wasn't the best I ever played at Wimbledon. It wasn't the best player I ever beat at Wimbledon. But in terms of just a moment to, uh, um, you know, savour. And, and funnily enough, um, I, I was asked about reflecting on my career and and memorabilia and different things and I don't I don't really have any and and uh, um, not on display anyway at my home and and uh, I realized that I only had one picture um, tennis related at my home and it's match point against Harhus and it's when I, I've broken his serve at 13 12 and I hit a four forehand passing shot down the line and I've I've sort of thrown my, my arms in the air and you can see, and it's a great photo because I'm obviously pretty excited, but the crowd behind is just amazing. And when I think of that, um, it brings back some good memories. Great stuff. Anybody else? There are some great gems coming out here, so please keep the, uh, keep the questions coming. So we've got the chap in the back row and then the guy with the glasses <laughs> just ahead. Apologize for the English, I'm Italian. Um, following the question of the lady, uh, what do you like to do after a match, either if you, if you win or if Celebrate. you lose? <laughs> <laughs> both, both things, because even recovering sure. after like, losing a game. Yeah. It's a, another good question. Um, you know, what, do you, what do you like to do after you win? It depends on the round that you're playing in. If you're you know, in, in a final and you've won a tournament, I think it is important to celebrate. You've got to savour that moment because in tennis... At Wimbledon, there'll be 127 losers. There'll be 254 losers, I should say, because there'll only be one person that wins the men's singles and a, only one lady that wins the women's singles. And so it's important to, it's important to save her. And, and, you know, even if you're Roger Federer or Maria Sharapova, you lose a lot. You lose a lot. And, and so, therefore, the, the reflection of that is you become good at controlling your emotions that when you win, you don't get 
too excited, especially if you've got to come back and play the next day or a couple of days later. And when you lose, you've got to, you've got to, you know, keep the sense of perspective to say, you know, what did I do? What can I learn from that match? How can I improve my game and and make yourself a better player? So I, th I think the, you know, the, the good players are able to keep a a balance on it. And but but certainly, you know, I didn't win too many tournaments. I won 11 on the tour, and I always felt it was important to uh, to celebrate those. Hi, everybody. A uh, question for Tim again. Uh, Tim, how did you know when to stop your career? That's, that's a good question. And, and uh, I, I remember exactly when it was. I was uh, it was in July in 2007, and I was in Washington. And, and I played uh, John Isner, who was uh, six foot nine, um, with an incredible serve. And, and uh, I ended up losing 7-6, uh, 4-6, 7-6. And he served about 35 aces. And I went back to the... Uh, I went back to the um, the hotel with my coach. This will answer your question. To have a few beers, to uh, you know, <laughs> drown my sorrows, and I was talking to my coach Paul Anacone at the time, and 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 I said to him, I said I'm not really sure. For the first time ever, I'm not really sure I'm enjoying this. And I started playing tennis when I was three, and I was 33. I was 32. I was 32 at that stage, and for that split second, I felt like this was going to become my job not my hobby. And I remember he looked at me and he said, if you're not enjoying it, you shouldn't do it. And I sort of looked at him in amazement and said, what, you think I should retire? And he said, well, if you don't enjoy it and you don't want to do it, why are you going to do it? And then I immediately thought to myself, I looked at my schedule, I had two Masters Series in, in, in America, I had the US Open, and then I was playing the Davis Cup at uh, Wimbledon, playing for Great Britain against Croatia to qualify for the World Group. And it all made sense. And, and I, was, I was struggling with my back a little bit. My ranking was probably, you know, 30 or 40, and it was probably moving in the wrong direction. Um, my wife was pregnant with our, with our third child. And I thought, you know, this is the, this is the right time for me. And, and I then really enjoyed those last few tournaments. Um, I won both my matches at Davis Cup, and uh, we beat Croatia 3-love um, to get back into the world group. And, you know, now I reflect and I, I sometimes say that if I knew retirement was going to be this good, I would have stopped 10 years ago. <laughs> OK, probably time just for one or two more. I've seen two hands shooting go. up yeah, in yeah. the front row there. Let's go for the lady first and then the chap with the glasses. Hi, my question's to all of you. What do you think is the greatest ever match at, that's been played at Wimbledon? You start that, Mick. Um, I'm probably showing my age. I, I think the um, the Borg McEnroe match, which uh, 1980. Was, yeah, yeah. Uh, mine would probably be the Federer Nadal final 2008. Um, I was very fortunate. It was the first Wimbledon I was working, and um, all the uh, I was in the press seats, and all the press had actually left and gone inside to the press centre because they had to meet their deadlines because it got so late. So I managed to sneak on and get a seat, and it was so dark. It was unbelievable how dark it was. So that's it. Yeah, that's mine. Do you mean apart from the Henman Harhus oh, match? Apart, apart oh, from. Oh, <laughs> pick, pick one from your from your career, and then pick one that you um, didn't participate in. I, I think beating Federer on centre court in 2001 was um, was an, a good moment to look back on. Um, but I would actually agree with Alex. Um, I think the best tennis match I've ever seen uh, was 
Federer Nadal in, in 2008, and that was the first Wimbledon final that I, I commentated on. So it was a real, you know, sort of honor and a privilege to see that and understand their history, their rivalry, and to see Rafa finally win Wimbledon for the first time when it was virtually dark. It was, it was an inc incredible match. Okay, hi. Um, great to see all of you on stage. Uh, message for both of you. How long did it take for the app to be developed? How many days or weeks? For this, for this championship? Yes. Um, well, really, I guess it started, Alex would probably be better to talk about it, but it started really in Atlanta with IBM um, back in October. But I think we had in our mind what we wanted to do after the 2013 championships because most of the attention for 2013 was the, was the iPad app. And we really want to give a greater focus to the mobile app um, for 2014. But Alex, you might want to comment more on that. As far as actual development time, we started, as Mick said, we agreed the concept at the end of last year. We started designs in January, and the build started in March. So fairly, fairly long time. Long time. Um, question for Tim. Uh, who was your idol when you were growing up? Um, Bjorn Borg um, was my first, and then Stefan Edberg. And when I was about 16 and I left school to play professional tennis, um, Stefan was living in London and, and he was um, being coached by Tony Pickard, who was a, a British, um, former British player and, and, uh, and then Edberg's coach. And I was lucky enough to, to practice a lot with him. And, you know, for a wide-eyed 16-year-old to get the opportunity of hitting with the world number one, that was, uh, you know, a very steep learning curve when you can see firsthand all the areas that you need to improve on. Um, he definitely had a big impact on, you know, my professional game and, and my game style. So those, those two. So the lady in the black T-shirt, I think, was waiting for a question next. Question for Tim. Um, just wondering where you're going to be watching Wimbledon next week. Is it going to be through the app or is it going to be in the stadium? Um, I, everywhere. I, um, I'll, be working, I'll be working for the uh, BBC. Um, for the whole two weeks. And um, so we'll have all sorts of um, different areas. I'll be um, in the studio with Sue Barker. I'll be commentating on, on matches. And um, so I'd quite like to get out to the hill, but it's sometimes a bit tricky. <laughs> I think you might be mobbed if you, uh, if you headed up there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, unless we have any more questions burning a hole in your pocket, as it were, are you on? Uh, just quickly, if you just wait for the microphone, thank you. And this, this is the last one. Sorry about that. Um, I just came to think about the 2001 semi-final between you and Goran Ivanisevic. Do you think if there'd been a roof in place at the time, you might, it might have, you might have won? I don't think I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's still my favourite match. Yeah, that was a difficult one. But, but I think people forget um, they have a slightly selective memory. And, and uh, um, there were a lot of occasions when it rained and it helped me when I wasn't playing so well. And, and certainly in, in, in that match, um, having just won the third set six love and, and Goran was, was not in the best um, frame of mind, shall we say. Um, the fact that it did rain, we were always going to have a delay, an interruption, even if, even if we did have a roof, because that obviously takes a little bit of time to, to shut the roof and get the, the correct temperature. So um, I think it would have, I think it would have helped me if if it wasn't played over three days. But um, you know, he still still had a good good opportunity. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I think that just about wraps up our time for questions.
Uh, I hope you've enjoyed, uh, we've been in privileged company this evening. I, I hope you've enjoyed hearing the thoughts of Tim and uh, getting an idea on the app from, uh, from Alex and Mick. We hope we've whetted your appetite. And if you don't have a ticket, remember you can queue up and uh, try and get in on the afternoon. The next best place to catch up with this year's Wimbledon is the app. If you haven't downloaded it, please do so before the championship gets started. All of us who are involved are very, very excited. It's tradition, it's prestige, it's drama, and it's desire 24-7 for two weeks. And it all starts on Monday, the 23rd of June. Our thanks to Tim, to Alex, and to Mick. Enjoy Wimbledon. Please use the app. And uh, fingers crossed, I think we can say this, fingers crossed for Andy Murray once again. Thank you very yeah, much yeah. indeed for your Thank attendance. You. Thank you very much.